In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to that actual Anarchy Podcast podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho capitalist perspective. Tonight we've got an old guest who is joining us. He's back in the house. Uh, from over a year ago, and then we started uh, doing the old Last Nighters version of the show and cutting out guests, and then slowly been reintroducing them back into the wild. And so he's back with us again on this 113th episode on Collateral, the movie starring Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. It is none other than Mike C. He was on for Night of the Living Dead and Scrooge. He's a big Bill Murray fan. He's a music artist slash Canadian, and he is joining us tonight to talk about this movie. Uh, half Canadian, half man. Half Canadian, half man. All <laughs> they stick out our beard. So the show notes will be at actualanarchy.com slash one thirteen. We're we're cutting a live stream right now. So if you are a ten dollar a month or more member on our Patreon, you can actually watch us do this thing live. Uh, you can also listen to the pre-show and post-show at the five dollar a month level uh, for the behind-the-scenes content. So you can find all that at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. And uh, let's get into that last night's portion of the show because this has a lot of meat on it, and I don't want to leave it uh, too much on the floor. And then we'll do some uh, Kathleen Turnover Drive at the end. So here we go with the last nighters. everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters is on The Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. This is going to be episode 56 of the show, where we're going to be talking about the Michael Mann flick, Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Collateral, and we have a guest all the way from Canada named Mike C. But before we introduce him and ask uh, a few preliminary questions about, you know, introduce yourself to the audience and all that, let's say a little Robert for a moment, and then we'll start talking about this movie. It'll be great fun. Hello, my lovelies. Glad to be back on the show. Glad to talk to you about another fantastic flick. And glad to have a man from the Great White North here to tell us all about it. Mr. Mike C. Hey, what's up? Yeah, welcome, Mike C. So this was a suggestion from you from uh, quite a while back, actually. And it was uh, this one or Salt. And uh, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you went with this one. Oh, good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. We, we've, we've made a wise choice, wise decision. We've chosen wisely to borrow from uh, The Last Crusade, right? Mm. So, Mike, tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe where they can find your music and anything else that you feel interesting for them. And then we'll get into the show here. Oh, that's a bit of a OK. Um, yeah, I'm from Canada um, in Alberta, which is sort of in a vassal state of the federal government. And the federal government's been a vassal of other countries since its inception. So um, but it allows for a lot of sort of cowboy, you know, uh, mentality. It's fairly Mm, there's a lot of libertarian sort of thinking here with some very weird religious conservative authoritarian shit. So um, that's my upbringing and that's kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, I do some music in, sporadically that doesn't earn me any money. So it just kind of shows up when it does on SoundCloud. Uh, it's Mechanical Dream Revolution. Recommend checking out uh, Old Stories, which is my last album. It's got some good, uh, I don't know, just some pretty fun stuff. Right, very uh, good. And yeah. 
We'll put a, a a link to that on our show notes page. Does it have an embeddable player? We can put that on there as well. Uh, I think so. I think so. I don't. I don't even know what that means. So. All right. Well, I'll prepare to have your mind blown. When people go to lastnighters.com slash 56, they'll see the show notes for this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you mean. Now. Where they can listen to your music right on that page. Oh, that sounds great. If I could figure it out. I'm, I'm a bit of a Luddite, technologically speaking. Yeah. But why don't we talk about this movie? Okay, hey. yeah. All right, so we usually start with the Google description. So here we go. Collateral, 2004, Michael Mann movie. Drama, crime film, two hours in length, 7.5 on the IMDb, 3.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert. 86% Rotten Tomatoes and 89% of the Google users like it. Here is a description. After a long day, L.A. taxi driver Max is about to knock off when a sharp-suited Vincent offers him $600 to make five stops. Sounds good until Vincent turns out to be a merciless hitman, and each one of those stops involves a hit. As the night goes on, Max starts to wonder if he'll live to see the sunrise as the pair are hunted by the police and the FBI. Came out in August 6, 2004. Director Michael Mann had a budget of $65 million and made a pretty penny at the box office of $217.8 million U.S. dollars. Won a few awards and uh, all around an interesting film. Uh, your thoughts, Robert, and then we'll ask Mike why you suggested this one. This movie really, yeah, it hit me. Right from the get-go, I mean, you start off with this Jamie Foxx character. All this movie is packed full of great actors, by the way. All putting in fantastic performances. I, I think Tom Cruise as the hitman is just the standout. He's like this kind of alpha, take no shit kind of guy, and he's also a psychopath. But but he uh, really has a strong strong character, and it's just what you know Jamie Foxx's character needs at this moment. And it, and we'll get into all that, but. Um, yeah, really, really strong performances. Excellent script. I love the the concept. You have to take a little bit of the plot. You know, you got to suspend disbelief for everything happening all in one night and having the cops all like being able to solve this crime and whatnot and be like on the tail. In reality, I don't think the cops would have been Johnny on the spot and all figuring out all at once. But, you know, whatever. It's all good. Um, great film. I, I'm here to get into it. All right, Mike, your take, and then why why this is uh, one that you suggested. Um, well, the Google description's good. It summarizes the story, but not the plot. So it doesn't touch the themes at all, which is, I guess, maybe good, because you'd want to be able to not you know, not be spoiled or whatever for what the movie's trying to say. But it's, uh, it's certainly more than like a caper or cops and robbers kind of thing. There's a lot of deep themes about masculinity and self-actualization, which I find interesting. And then, um, uh, I mean, it's almost more more prevalent 15 years later or more more relevant 15 years later looking at sort of you know some ads on television certain narratives that are pretty anti-masculinity uh and then yeah uh that's kind of about it yeah uh, that's kind of why i liked it well that's good yeah i i liked it as well robert liked it as well i think we've already spoiled the fact that we're going to give this a good rating um but i guess my question is you know why what stands out i mean we're a bit of a libertarian show so I imagine that there were some like libertarian arguments well, that really. Yeah. Started. Yeah. There's some pepper in there. There's, it's like pepper. It's, what I liked about it too, is it, why I might've suggested it was um, there's a bunch of little moments in there where you guys can really sink your teeth into some sort of regulatory thing. That's just sort of mentioned offhand. Um, and then I think we should out of the, out of the gate, probably get the entire idea of contraband out of the way and how legal systems and, and prohibition obviously inflates the value of contraband and gives psychopaths access to um, in order in, or in uh, unreasonable amounts of power in a marketplace through you know through the black market. So um, I think the bad the the bad guys or the you know the Vincent is working for people that don't want uh, a trial to go, uh, and they're in the exotic substances business, so they're drug dealers, which means all of their power is derived from prohibition. But I don't know how, like, that would be beating a dead horse. I'm not sure if we're going to talk about that for an hour. So we kind of have to embrace the idea that it's cops and robbers and, and discuss sort of the more philosophical stuff, which is what I really enjoy. I'm more of an anarchist than a libertarian, I think, if that makes sense. So it's a philosophical position rather than a practical one. Okay, right. And, and you sort of have a, a practical hat as well that I'm sure will yeah. come to bear later on in this episode, I'm sure. Um, but basically the premise, we should talk about the premise just to lay it out there. I know that we assume that people have seen this movie, but essentially you've got this taxi driver who appears to have it all together. And I'm, I'm borrowing heavily from a video that you shared with me, and I'll post that on the show notes page as well. Uh, but who appears to have it all together. And then this sort of alter ego or the shadow of Peter Pan, who actually completes him as a character, exposes him 
for all of the faults that he's trying to hide up, hide uh, by lying about or even lying to himself. He's one of these um, entrepreneurs, I want to say, the Jamie Foxx character. I like it. I like it. That's yeah, yeah. He's got these big dreams, but he's too afraid to make a move. And he also is seeking that perfection. He, he makes that comment multiple times about it's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be perfect. Uh, and so it's one of those situations where it's like the perfection is the enemy of the good, where he's never going to be satisfied enough to actually go through with anything. And it's final, finally in, in the, um, you know, near the end of the movie, when he's confronted with this, uh, where he actually decides to shit instead of just getting off the pot. Um, and, you know, he crashes the the taxi in, a, in his ultimate uh, personal resolution to getting over his indecisiveness. Right, actually taking action and doing something. Yeah, no, I like it. That's uh, that's pretty accurate. I mean, I'd agree with that. I don't usually agree with people, so it's a rare. Uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Um, oh, it's interesting to uh, have his revelation come from a assassin, psychopathic murderer guy. I mean, usually, you know, you, who was it that said you can take, you know, in things positive things from very negative people? I forget who it is, but you can always learn more. You can, well, I don't know, learn more, but you can always have something to learn from the worst situations or the worst people. And it's interesting that he gained this positive outcome from this very horrific person. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a traumatic situation where, you know, when you're comfortable, it's it's uh, low level thinking can get you by. But when you're in a very high stress situation, uh, you're firing different neurons. I mean, you're you're having to navigate and adapt and overcome you know to borrow from the improvisation that they talk about with the jazz and then also mixing in some of the marine ethos where he he has to like figure out something because all of his traditional avenues are blocked all of his normal comfortable uh positions are no longer available to him and so he has to go outside of his comfort zone to essentially save the day for him for himself yeah i mean you could um if you wanted a uh, kind of an economic uh version or or wordplay you could you know i mean it's really just competition that brought up the best in him ultimately and he had to innovate to sort of succeed right like he couldn't his system was stagnant and and somebody came into his life and it would, he then had to evolve out of out of his behavior yeah that's uh, true through, yeah. through you know and, and there's really nice like sort of i mean there's almost a sibling rivalry um uh, between Vincent and Max when they go visit his mother, right? Because his mother, you know, and you can you can look at the sort of you know the the toxic maternity, uh, and you know wh where did he get these these you know entrepreneur sort of um, you know habits of you know maybe a school system that muted him to his own potential and told him to sit and listen and and not think of for himself, and then you know so but I mean that's a social constructionist kind of problem to look at, but like you know you could you could look at Max and and Vincent almost as like competing brothers, right? So right, and even uh, Jamie Foxx says early on that he hates competition and yeah. I, I know it's goddamn right he does he works for a taxi service yeah and they, yeah, they I know. Know. he started <laughs> license structure to eliminate competition and i mean this is all pre-uber you know this is 2004 uh you know uber is, is decimating the taxi industry and, and they're clamoring for more protection uh for their monopoly racket I drive me nuts too because like in every once in the every once in a while in the media i'll see some some virtue signaling about surge pricing and how that's like some sort of ethical problem. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, well, no, the price goes up and then people get off their asses and start working. Like, what's the fuck? What's the problem there? Right. And the flip side is these are the same people who are saying that they're, these these uh, drivers are being exploited in their own vehicles. Well, and they are by the state and by their 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 bosses. Right. But you and I know that. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> the people complaining about uh, Uber's surge pricing are also complaining about uh, these drivers not making enough money. Yeah. Well, they just, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. Like, I, I go to the gym. And there's one roll machine. And if somebody's on that one roll machine, I invented a narrative why that guy's an asshole. Whether it's, you know, if it's like a, if it's a, if it's a fat white guy, I'm like, oh, that guy, did, fuck him. He's, he's not coming to the gym for the right reasons or he's not in shape enough. If he's skinny, I'm like, well, he doesn't even need to. I should be on there anyway, right? And if it's like, you know, if it's some sort of other, like some visible minority or something, I'll like have these like immediate like racist sparks in my head that I have to stuff down, right? But you'll, you know, and a lot of politics is just telling people a story that that they want to hear to to be right and to not have to work and to get free shit. And so, you know, it's yeah. So the surge pricing issue, the taxi issue, right? Of course, taxi drivers who don't want to transition to something else, and they've already. I mean, it's a, it's also the sunk cost fallacy too, right? They've invested themselves and oppressed, submitted to oppression, you know, because they were told that they would be protected for that submission, and now somebody's coming along and doing stuff freely and liberal and, you know, exercising their, you know, their innovation or finding an innovation in that place and throwing them under the bus, you know? So of course they're going to 
double down on what they've you know invested in right not only getting out you know what i mean right and it also intensifies over time because when the those taxi licenses first came out they were like five dollars or twenty dollars or thirty dollars or whatever and it just goes up and up yeah 1939 or whenever they went into into effect in new york city and then by the the mid 80s uh, there were still the same number of medallions for a growing population and a growing demand. So the price for taxi cabs kept going up and the medallions kept going up. I think that the peak was something close to a million dollars for one of those licenses that just 70 years earlier had been purchased for uh, like $30. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like a lot of problems in this movie could have been solved if fucking Max had a gun. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If he just had a gun on him. Well, he eventually does get one. And it yeah. Does- problem to your point <laughs> yeah like he solves a lot of problems pretty quick as soon as he's armed as well as the person that he's competing with that's trying to kill him so yeah it's like okay i'm just gonna drive around in my car and then some people with that ultimately can imprison me and like arrest me and and, and take my shit um are gonna tell me that i have to abide by some system right and so it's like you're given this choice to like rebel against that or not and every time you don't rebel every time you um you know, submit to an oppressive system, you endure suffering, and then the ego creates a narrative that rationalizes that. And the further you get into that, the more all of the pain that you've endured is residing on your worldview and belief system. So it becomes harder and harder as you go. You really got to fuck somebody up sometimes to free their mind. Like Vincent does. To yeah, Jimmy that's Fox. exactly it, right? So. All right, so let's, let's bring Robert in. Uh, any comments so far? Do you want to take us in another direction? Well, I thought we'd start off at the beginning of the movie. Um, I like it. Where, you know, Jimmy Fox is driving his cab. And who is it? Um, Jada Pinkett Smith gets in the cab. And she wants to go to a certain place. And he's like, sure, no problem. But then she has different ideas about how to get there. And but Max is like, or Jimmy Fox's character. Is Jimmy Fox's character Max? No. Yeah, who's, yeah. Jamie, okay. Jamie's Max. You can see Jamie yeah. Fox, though. Yeah, either way. Vivica, so, um, uh Pinkett Smith is definitely the fox in the two situations. So it's true. So anyway, so he has better ideas. Like he's the expert, but you know, she has her ideas about how to, you know, they get in an argument, but I like his solution that, you know, okay, we'll do it my way. But you know, if you're not satisfied, you know, I'll give it, I'll give you a free ride. I thought that was a really cool uh, solution. And well, it's interesting because like the only thing on, the only thing she's putting up is like liking him. Essentially he's trying to, it's a very, very um, romantic kind of scene which I like because they're, you know, they're, she's not like a, you know, some dainty princess or something. She's level-headed and a business, businesswoman. So it's interesting that that's how he courts her is by like challenging her a little bit. And it's he's like, a, I'll, I'll put this hundred bucks up against basically your number. Right. It's a subtle respect. power. Yeah. Yeah, and if you've seen a Hollywood movie in the past like five years, you know that the the lost art of romantic dialogue has completely been lost. So there is some subtle, you know, romantic stuff going on between these two characters in this movie that is very well done. But if you watch some kind of thing, like I watched Aquaman recently, and it is just hilarious. They, they just don't know what they're doing anymore. I don't know if these are just terrible people, but... Uh, yeah, no, if... Um... Subtlety is a lost art. That's all I have to say. Yeah, if God could just go ahead and smite Hollywood, that'd be sweet. We'll start again. We could build it like a new uh, Milwaukee or something. Just so they didn't nuke, it. nuke it from outer space. That's the only way to be sure. I, I said smite. That's that's not a direct call to violence. That's just an abstraction, right? It's a religious um, right that I have to to say that. Right, and insurance wouldn't cover it. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do want to ask you guys, his solution, this deal he makes with her, they're basically betting on a counterfactual. Like, they can't know the alternative. So it's it's no. bizarre to me. Um, but but well, he that's, does that's make how it. men and women interact with each other though. There's no rules and the language is never like grounded on anything because they have completely different languages that they're speaking to each other. That's just a, a pleasant formality on top of what they're actually trying to get done. <laughs> I guess I don't know. That's my explanation anyway. It's all code. It's all code. Okay. I mean, basically, he's just being flirtatious, but in a subtle yeah. and assured way. Uh, confidence. Because, yeah, showing that confidence, which so I've heard is very attractive. Yeah. Well, he was so confident that he challenged her, put put up everything, offered to have her put up no collateral. <laughs> forgive that uh, against the bet, and then also she was allowed to be the judge on top of everything else. She determined. So if she was petty. She could be like, "I want a free ride." That's how much he put himself out there. So a very submissive position, which, yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. So it's like... With a fair amount of risk. Yeah, I know, but it's, so he's like, he's like, I'm confident. Abilities. But it is like a very disadvantage, disadvantage, a disadvantageous ugh, position. So yeah, I think that's like what he was kind of offering. He's like, oh, yeah, so here's here's all of me. I will, I have this like 
he gave her the picture too. He completely submitted everything to her because he was in love, I guess, at first sight. But like that's his approach to women is just giving it up, giving up everything, not, not holding anything back for himself, right? Which is, in my experience, not ideal unless you're part of some destiny. Well, it is a Hollywood movie, so perhaps. Yeah, so it yeah. worked out great that like he was um, ordained to be with her by like the fates because most most times i lay myself out like that I, it does not work out for me i'm just throwing that out there was anybody else turned off when she ride and leave was anybody else turned off when she said that she was a state prosecutor though yeah but you know like um i don't know li- libertarian in the streets statist in the sheets something like that kind of get pass basically people can be turned maybe he gets to be the statist you know when she's not working and she's a little more liberal i don't know something like that so what would we describe the prosecutor? I mean, are they the tip of the spear or are they like what actually pierces the armor? Because you've got the, you know, the police or the frontline enforcers, but she's the one who's actually like looking for every possible thing in the book that you can throw at the person to make something stick. Right. And as we all know, there's hundred thousand regulations and laws and whatnot in the United States. And their job is to char- overcharge so that something sticks. It's hard to get a metaphor out of that, you know? Like, cause it's like we're all these cogs and machines and we fulfill like it's more like a it's more like a D&D uh, party composition where like she's the lawyer, <laughs> like the healer or the whatever an anti version of the healer is the sapper because <laughs> they do fulfill sort of other like m- multiple roles, I guess. So you're talking about like a, a character archetype type like. Role? Yeah, cause she's not. It, yeah, it's definitely not the tip of the spear, but it is the last action of the state in prosecution is the prosecuting part. So, you know, like you apprehend, you, you arrest somebody. Hmm? Sorry. They're playing a role within that apparatus, but they're playing a role in front of their counterpart. Who is or also- you could also view it as the end though, is my point. Like it's the last thing that the state does. Other the, than the, the you police, hmm? Other, Other than, than, yeah, the executor and the, yeah. So the like, if you, wanna, if you want to, she's like the, the, the hands on the spear and then the, the police enforcement system, the, the actual police force is this is the shaft and then like the tip would be the lawmakers i guess because like that that's what initiates this right is democracy voting getting people into positions where they're allowed to do certain things and then the supreme court just justices just kind of slowly chip away at your bill of rights right, right. and then so, these prohibitions and hence the drug war yeah. and the whole impetus for yeah. the plot in this where there's the colombian cartel who are under threat by this government prosecution and there's witnesses and uh yeah so they're a threat to them and they take action by hiring vincent but again like i think like as libertarians you're going to be beating a dead we could we could talk about that particular problem for an hour easy because like yeah we we all know (laughs) that drugs being illegal creates violence and disproportionate representation in the marketplace or you know whatever like uh, you know and and generally like psychopaths gravitate or uh, move to the top of hierarchy chains right or hierarchies in any system so a more violent system is going to have the worst psychopaths at the top of it sucks but yeah like sorry like a political system yeah like yeah exactly except like um the politics of of drug um production and distribution is more violent so it's more of a feudal kind of situation right so it's much more like a less refined less nuanced it's more violence driven with probably clearer bore uh clearer borders on their territory and stuff like that from what i understand but this is this is what i like about michael mann these aren't judgmental films like there's no like he just leaves that out of it he says the world has cops and robbers and here's some drama and some interesting ideas about how they interact with each other sometime he doesn't say the cops are good or or the drug dealers are good like that's kind of not really part of it it's really about vincent and max right yeah you know i did notice a bit of a almost documentary feel yeah well you saw heat right yeah, yeah, this felt a lot like heat as well. Yeah. But a lot of the, like the the shots were um, handheld and and abstract mm-hmm. and really tight, like very closely cropped in. Yeah, no, he's yeah, he's brilliant. I uh, I mean, I think he's maybe over the hill, but we'll see. He's doing a movie about Ferrari, so that'll be a good one. Um, in terms of like you know entrepreneurs and awesome fast cars, that might be fun. Yeah. So oh, except, except you guys hate roads. No, I said I love roads. Roads. It'd be private roads. <laughs> God damn you, roads. Well, let's talk again about the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur because Jamie Foxx is the entrepreneur and Vincent is the entrepreneur. He is out there providing a service, being paid very well. He's at the top of his game. He's very effective at what he's doing. And he's also very steadfast in his, I have a, a job to do and you're fucking with my job here. Mm-hmm. 
And I, you know, I, I need to accomplish this. I have a contract with my employers who have hired me out. And it's, um, you know, it's, he's an action taker. I mean, yes, he's a sociopath slash, slash psychopath slash murderer. Trained by the state. Yeah. And did they, did they ever clarify like what was his origin? Cause he said he did six years private sector. Yeah. Of- they, they thought that he might've been like, I think they made him KGB or something. Oh, Russian, eh? Yeah. Well, we got to hit them Russians. <laughs> Yeah, they, they rig they rig our elections and and make movies fail. I think they I think they were responsible for Ghostbusters not doing well. So yeah. Anyway, so um, and that's the thing. Like, so I have this romantic idea about dueling with swords, right? But it's like you know you realize that the peasant didn't have the kind of training uh, a, a soldier for the state had, right? And it takes time to learn how to you know. And you, you, saw, you see some of the gunfights that Vincent gets into. It's incredibly well trained. And he wears a gray suit. Um, he has no sort of uh, signifiers that make him stand out in any way. He's very good at what he does. Um, and so at once his, his job is necessitated by, you know, uh, sort of state statism oppression. Right. And then on top of that, he was also trained by that same system, but from a different place or maybe, you know, maybe it was CIA or something who knows. And he wears his sunglasses at night. Yeah, no, it's well, I mean, that, that kind of stood out to me. I think we were talking about that on a recent show. And in a way, this sort of feels like a counterpart to the recent Tom Cruise movie, American Made, because mm-hmm. in that one, he's also working with the Colombian cartels, but in a different capacity. Is he, uh, what is that? Is he running guns to them or? Guns and drugs. Oh, is that um, okay. is that, the, that Reagan shit? Yeah. In the 80s, Bill Clinton, Mina, Arkansas. Got car-carrying Democrat until he was a Republican. Na- um, naturalized a bunch of uh, illegal immigrants because they'd vote for Democrats. And then gave guns to Colombian Mexican drug lords, Nicaragua, I think, right? The San. Yeah, I don't know. All, all I know is that, like, that just doesn't seem like good leadership to me. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, if, if we're okay, if we're Are you going saying to... something negative about our politicians, Mike. My... Oh, Reagan, I'm not a super super fan of. I know he broke up unions, but that's all bullshit, right? It's not real. How dare you? Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the entrepreneur who's been driving a cab for 12 years, and he finally fesses up to this to Vincent. And it made me think of, you know, he's calling it something temporary. And there's the quip of there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. And that's what it felt yep. like to me when he was talking about. That's income tax, right? Or, or any, any temporary emer- war measure in Canada. Oh, really? Okay. Income tax was a temporary war measure in Canada. But it's like you, you taxes come in, they don't ever go away. You don't cut taxes. Right. And even when they... Um, want to introduce a new one and they promise to eliminate a prior one they never yeah, do. yeah. No, no they don't right it's like i don't know yeah i don't know reagan might have cut i i think that if you looked into it you get like like the same thing probably with trump where like they'll make a cut but they'll just move to something else you know like it, it's just something you can't see if you unless you look hard enough and figure out how the system works entirely and canada's tax system is sort of designed for laundering money from foreign nations it's kind of complicated you need like a a plus accounting education to be able to understand it fully. So I'm not sure how a C student is supposed to navigate it. But anyway, um, taxes come in, they don't ever get cut. Yeah, that, that is an interesting point And one that uh, is going to become relevant here in, in a couple of months when April 15th rolls around in the United States, because yeah, it is so complicated uh, how to file the taxes that it's almost you have to job it out to someone who's especially trained in it. Yeah. And if Bubis Americanus is relatively, you know, averagely not that smart, um, yet they have this very complicated tax code with the threat of violence if you do it wrong. Um, it seems like a very precarious situation to me. Yeah, that was when, like, I think one of the talking points was uh, was they wanted to make it simple, right? I'm not sure if that's happening or not, but I think that was one of the platforms among many promises. Yeah, yeah years. a one-page form you fill out, but there's still, like, 100 attachments. I liked, um, who was the neurosurgeon that looked like he was asleep? Ben? ben you need some context here, sir. Uh, he was running against Trump in the... Oh, ben Carson? Ben Carson, that's it. Okay, so he wanted a flat tax, which to me, I know we don't want any taxes, but that seems like a marginal improvement. Yeah, I'm going to argue the other way. I think that the more liberals you have that can be taken advantage of by entrepreneurs, I think that the more breathing room that you have. Yeah, but it's like it stratifies pretty quickly, right? It calls itself progressive as well, and it never is. It's always like regressive. It always like favors people in positions of wealth to begin with, and there's not a lot of competition in those, right? It's like favors monopoly. And the, the way like... You know, if you have a copyright, you know, and Disney's not going to lose the court case, 
You know what I mean? Because they can afford to engage. I mean, like uh, Starbucks is always going to be able to deal with rising um, minimum wage and regulatory laws because they're a huge company and they can navigate that, right? So the more the more expensive your accountant, the better you're going to be at navigating a complex system. Yeah, I back like 10, 15 years ago when the left was actually outraged by legitimate things, uh, they were upset when Monsanto would basically sue farmers for letting seeds that Monsanto yeah. had patented that blew into some guy's field into their field. And then yeah. they would just lawyer that's, them down so that that's they lawyering at its best. That is that is that is the cream of the crop lawyering. Uh, yeah, I know. It's like, and then they don't see the actual sort of underlying problem of maybe the intellectual property rights have something to do with the issue, not necessarily Monsanto's evil. I mean, they are. They're a bad, bad company, and they just got bought out by Bear, right? So yeah. got, the guys that made Agent Orange just got bought out by the guys that uh, perfected chlorine and mustard gas. So that's awesome. That's a healthy combination and a tasty way to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys can go F themselves. Yeah, but they're but, just playing by the rules that... No, yeah, they're just gaming the system like anybody else. That's what I mean, though, is that like... So to your point, um, I'd prefer something flat because then at least it's fair. Then then the maximum sort of freedom is allowed once the structure is built, right? It's like, okay... Well, so, careful what you mean when you say fair. Well, fair in, in terms of like everybody's got, you know, whatever, the 70% of their wages or so their income remaining they can use. Well, okay. So let's... I mean, let's let's, let's just play with this just a little bit. So... Let's say that do we want to everybody, talk about the movie or everybody's do this? everybody's taxed at thirty percent. Okay, so okay. that's supposedly to pay for like the goods and services they use, right? That's the yeah. excuse that they, that's given. And the and the army so, that protects them. Right. So why would it cost a rich man ten thousand times the price that it costs a poor person to do the exact same thing? What do you mean? Oh, they have to pay more. You mean? Yeah, they have to pay way more. Well, yeah, but, okay, yeah, okay. I'm on board with the idea of paying for the shit you use, but nobody wants to do that, and they have all the guns. So no, I'm just saying though, when you say it's fair, like a flat tax no, it's is not, fair. It's not... Yeah, okay, I see. I don't want to be mean. the language police here, but I just it seemed like you were saying that. No, okay, it's got a more balanced um, mechanics for the game that we're playing. Maybe it means in a relative sense because right now the progression is the higher the income, that strata is a higher rate that it is taxed at. Yeah, and also though, like there's more wiggling room. So yeah, they can get out of more, but that just that really disenfranchises the people lower on that hierarchy because they already don't have very much money to work with, and and then like that's less freedom. And so the more complicated the system, the I don't know. I'm not sure how. I, I mean, like, it's not fair any way you look at it. I just think that uh, a balanced system where everybody's forced to pay the same amount uh, as a percentage. You know what? Like, the, the best system would be some sort of, like, flat rate for existence. And then just figure out what your baseline for social infrastructure is based on how much you have to pay in. But there's no way the poor could possibly do that based on a mean amount, right? So you have to... Which you would have be great. Then yeah, we no. find out real quick that this is all bullshit because you're yeah. killing poor people. Yeah, you're stealing saying, all, their, all their money. Yeah, I'm just saying, it, it's dirty. difficult. I found it difficult to convince people of what you're saying. So I'm trying to figure out a way to get us closer to a system that's fair so that at least people can compete as freely as possible within a, within a system. That makes sense. So like, yeah... So in if we're going to have taxes, then people with more wealth should pay more if we're going to have taxes. I don't think we should have taxes. Is that satisfactory or do you need to like... I, I completely disagree with yeah, you. But, I know, I know but you I, do. I, I've heard the argument before and I'm not going to... We, we're a movie show. We should probably talk about a movie. It's fine. Yeah. All right, let's talk about something that is a little bit less controversial here between the parties involved. And that is when Tom Cruise explains to Max, Jamie Foxx, that no... I didn't kill that guy. I shot him. I love that guy's attitude. My bullet to the fall killed him. So it's the proximate, the ultimate cause is getting a little bit mixed up here. Yeah, I don't uh, know if that's his uh, psychopathic ex post facto. I don't. It seems weird. It seems yeah, more like a funny throwaway line because he doesn't have a problem with admitting to his murderous psychopathic abilities. No, I think it just speaks to his nihilism and just you know it sort of explains his worldview, and then it also offers Max like kind of a way to dismiss what's happening. It dominates Max through language, essentially. Yeah, and he's also being very precise, right? Like, sure, yeah. I shot him, but that isn't what killed him. Ultimately, <laughs> yeah, he reduces he reduces the human life that he just uh, ended to uh, a mechanism of physics, essentially. Right. So there's no there's no ethics. Ethics are completely dismissed. So Max is like. That's he has a moral objection or an ethical objection to what's going on, and uh, Vincent goes fuck your morals. 
Yeah, and right. I think it was really interesting the ensuing conversation where he's like, Max, you're all been out of shape about this one guy you didn't even know. Did you know, you know, the Rwandan genocide, a thousand people a day are dying or whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, Jamie Foxx's reply is, well, I don't know any Rwandans. You didn't know that asshole. It just fell off the, yeah, that's exactly it. So, right. But um, Jamie Foxx's argument is still valid. I mean, his argument is neither one of them is moral. And but I can get upset about this one thing that just happened. It's right in front of me. I think his point is that you're only upset because it's happening to you directly and it's affecting you. And that's why you're upset. So he's right. he's not allowing Max to become righteous about the situation. He's telling Max that he has a gun and Max is going to do what he wants. And his emotions are of no consequence. And his thoughts are of no consequence because he's no longer in a position of control. It's a yeah, I think it's a way of like dominating him through the language he uses because he just eliminates he eliminates like the protest essentially yeah he diffuses it and yeah. he, he does a similar thing even before like when he first enters the cab and he's talking to max and he's like he sort of forces the deal on him and yeah he, sure you can of course you can here's the money right? yeah. yeah they give him time to consider it or or uh yeah. that's just a hard sell isn't it yeah but it's almost it's it's almost a me too moment you know yeah it is well i mean that can't happen to a man but yeah <laughs> well of course not but yeah, that, that would be wrong. Um, but yeah, it's like Jamie Foxx wa was essentially communicating no, but Tom Cruise's... Well, his lips said no, but his eyes said yes. So Well, he did want that money. And and it was interesting... Yeah, he was wearing that outfit that looked like it wanted money. So, But he also said, I can't take that money because it's against regs. It's against regulations. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I knew you guys would jump right on that one. To hire a, a car for the night is yeah. apparently, for some reason, illegal. That seemed to be a plot contrivance, because how could that possibly be true? Oh, are you kidding? No, there's there. absolutely laws against that, because it's, again, um, giving the cabbie who has to submit to that system way too much power. You need to be able to regulate that if you want to keep control of them over time, because then they'll just they'll they'll use their submission to get the license to gain wealth that will free them from the system you're using to oppress them. So, so what would that regulation possibly say, though? I mean, what is he doing other than taking the same guy from well, location a, to location? It's, it's the same. So what it does is it'll pretend to be in favor of the consumer by saying that prices must be regulated to make it fair for everyone. So they'll be like, OK, it must be in this state or in this city or whatever. Usually it's like you it's per minute or it's per mileage. Right. And there's a drop charge. Yeah. And there's a flag fall. And so that's it. And so if you disobey those things, you're no longer behaving, right? So that surge pricing can occur. And um, cab companies have to pay their employees a certain amount or whatever. It's all just regulated because I guess the argument is that um, that makes things better for the consumer and the employees well, having, you, having no control or freedom to negotiate. There are all these notices in the cab. You see it in the movie and you see it in real life when you go to a cab like, um, all participants or all riders ride at the same for the same uh, single fare. And here's how much it is for the drop. And here's how much it is per mile. And here's the wait time. And if you have any complaints, report them to the, you know, taxi commission standards yeah. board or whatever. And it's all this illusion of yeah. this structure there protecting me as a consumer when really it's a yeah, way of holding you back and making you pay more. Well, that's yeah. Like um, the striking edge of oppression is always um, virtue and safety and like, social sort of you know, cohesion and stuff like that, right? Right. And I don't think this is like a um, nefarious plot. I think that these really are do-gooders who think that they're doing something positive and it just always has a... Yeah, it's more like a virus in our operating system called communism or Marxism. <laughs> it's, it's more like the, the truth of it, like I said, right? So if I go to the gym and I, you know, I invent a narrative to be like this guy on the roll machine is an asshole, you know, to make myself feel better about not getting up earlier, you know, or being first to the position or having the money or incentive to like to go to a better gym with two row machines. Right. Like there's all these factors. I invent a narrative that says that this guy is my enemy. But just don't go in January. Way fucking easier than taking responsibility for my life. Right. And so I think that that kind of egoic stuff uh is easy to capitalize on if you you know if you have a little bit of capital and have kind of a good understanding of language high language um intelligence you can sort of um you know through you know when it's kind of like a rich person socialism can kind of manipulate the people below you that don't really know any better yeah you sell them, yeah i mean a, you sell them a do-gooderism yeah and i mean like hollywood's on board with that isn't it like it yeah yeah i mean like four billion dollars to buy 
Star Wars from Lucasfilm or to buy Lucasfilm. And they made a movie that was like they went to the planet 1% and shit on capitalism, I guess. I'm not really sure what, but it seemed like a criticism of, of people like gambling and being rich from yes, a, company, a company that owns everything. <laughs> and, the, and the movie literally had a toy commercial at the end, right? Like, so I don't know. I just, to be able to do that in plain sight to your, to the person that you're selling the shit to is just, I gotta, I gotta at least respect, you know, what they've done. But I just, I feel like we, um, we sort of form, we gravitate into like these masses, and then some, some guy shows up, right? I remember like Waco, remember Waco, Texas. You of course, guys, you guys, yeah, yeah, it happened. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big kind yeah. of a big deal. So they were doing pretty good, um, and um, before like the state murdered a bunch of people, they were doing pretty good, uh, right. just being sort of like these sort of hippie anarchists. And then like one guy came in and was like, hey, let's let's ramp this up a little bit. And I'm not saying that that's a legitimate reason, but that's sort of, I think, what sparked the interest of the state is because they were um, they were positioning themselves to be more free than the state wants them to be. Right. But there was a I think that they were primed for a cult leader to come in and sort of take that the same way. Like, I mean, they got rid of they got rid of like Christianity in the States or in, in Western culture. And then like Charlie Manson's sort of showing up everywhere right so a guy can just kind of rock up and call himself jesus and then you know if you find a group of people that are ready to kneel you know what i mean does that make sense am i just talking in circles can you can you print this <laughs> i'm not sure how we got here oh, yeah. we did kind oh, of, yeah. we gravitate to submissive unions like naturally because it's just easy to blame something external and then some asshole comes along with good language skills and a higher level of intelligence and like tells a story and everybody just kind of goes, okay, yeah, yeah. All right. I'll just keep giving you money. Right. That was kind of my point. So you're equating David Koresh with Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or like most of the people that are involved in both media and business and or government, right? Like, could we apply this uh, theory to Vincent and, and Max where Vincent. <sighs> yeah, I know. We're supposed to talk about this movie. Um, seeing this upon, upon Max, because I felt like, he was also yeah. to befriend him in almost a in an intentional Stockholm syndrome initiation. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually great because um, Max is a submissive individual, um, and then he's he, you know he's he's let himself be trampled on left and right, you know, by the state and his boss and and probably like I mean like you look at the way he behaved with the girl that smiled at him, gives him the picture that was very dear to him, leave nothing for himself, right? So he he seems like he just kind of puts himself out there. And so it'd be very easy for him to be manipulated and misled uh, if he got into a group, right? Which is uh, the union of the tax taxis, right? Like, so he's, you know, he's part of that group and he's probably part of some other group. And um, it'd be easy for people to sort of abuse him through that system. But because he's isolated by a psychopath, he's given a chance to like sort of rebel. Right, yeah, because we he, see the dispatcher uh, abusing him and threatening him. Yeah, but like, my point is that like, if he was abused by a psychopath within a group, I don't think he would have had the same opportunity for enlightenment or sort of like a consciousness shift or a transcendence, I guess is the word I'm looking for, if that well, makes sense. Yeah, to your point, we already see that. Like he's already abused within a group and he's yeah. still keeping his head down. And he's like, well, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. He's deluding himself. And he's, yeah, and he's fantasizing and, and checking out every now and again, uh, thinking that he's going to emerge from this uh, a better man. And maybe, you know, maybe over time he would, but Vincent calls him out on it and says, no, you're just going to wake up being old and, and not having achieved the dreams that you uh, hold on to because they're uh, a fantasy for you because you're not a guy who's an action taker. No, and it's a godsend to Max to have Vincent challenge him so directly and in such an isolated way. Like he has no, okay, and the cops, you know, um, Ruffalo figures out, you know, he's a great detective and he figures out what's going on and he's about to rescue him. And, and Max is like, thank God somebody's going to rescue me. And he just gets fucking shot in the head, like just like that. And it's a brutal scene, right? Cause you know, it comes out of nowhere and he's like, what do I do now? He's like, get in the car and keep, keep submitting to the things I tell you to do. Right. And it's at that point, very like, that's the scene just before he, he, uh, rebels. Right. Yeah. He decides that I, okay, no one's going to save me. I'm going to have to do it myself. Yeah. Because the first time he rebels, he grabs the suitcase when he's in the hospital and he runs. But he has no plan, and it's not—it's—it's it's like a false enlightenment, right? Like he just kind of—he just kind of like lashes out, you know. He like dates the wrong person to get your dad angry, kind of, <laughs> kind of rebellion, right? Like it's well, like, but he is trying to prevent piercing. murders happening. Yeah, but it's—it's it's more like getting a tattoo out of anger than it is like a conscious kind of plan, right? Whereas like yeah, yeah, it was an impulse thing. Yeah, yeah, like it's not. There's no yeah, and then and then he immediately he doesn't keep going right like he doesn't stand his ground in the end either so that is 
but then when he's given what he thinks is salvation and then that salvation is taken away from him and then on top of that um tom cruise vincent gives him a, a speech his nihilistic speech and, and calls him out on all his bullshit and he's like how his own narrative is sort of holding him back then he like he says fine you're right i'm gonna i'm gonna rebel against this and right. that, that doesn't happen in group settings like you, you don't go to church and and figure out a way to rebel against everybody standing up and dealing in sequence right yeah but i don't think he's uh he's convinced by the argument he's confronted and overcome it i don't think he accepts the nihilism he accepts no, no, that's what i mean action that's what i mean he goes okay this guy's challenging everything i believe and if i want to have meaning i'm going to have to decide what i believe and inject meaning into my life which is i you know i kind of got choked up the first time i watched him do that right like it was almost unexpected even though it's everything in the movie makes sense like leading up to that like it, narratively that's exactly what should have happened but it still came as a surprise because they set him up as such a weakling so. right it's a great character arc yeah well it's better than it's got a better sort of feel than maybe rocky or anything i see now in terms of like what a hero is because and like i said i don't think i think he needed to be isolated which is an interesting aspect of the plot right like he had to be like confronted directly by vincent for a prolonged period right and he was even seeking uh, salvation from strangers right like he was always looking outward for the solution previously and he even got robbed by the first party group of party that was uh, he was trying to seek help from yeah 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 he kept reaching out to you know like i said so the first thing i see you know like he he just, you know, um, lays down and submits to the first woman that smiles at him. And then um, he, I don't know. Yeah, like, and then every stage of the way, he, he's asking for help. And then those guys, there's just a couple assholes on the street going to rob him because he's tied up. Like, his hands are tied. Yeah. No, yeah. it's, yeah, it all, like, it, yeah, the more I think about this movie, the, the better it is, right? So I'm glad I picked it. And yeah, I don't know if this movie could be made today. I mean, Max can basically be replaced by... Well, like, Le uh, Leslie Jones, maybe? Or um, Melissa McCarthy? She's, no. pretty, she's pretty funny. No, no, please no. But, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the, I don't know how realistic this situation is just because I know they kind of play in this world where Vincent like takes over cab drivers and that sort of thing. But it seems to me like an unnecessary risk that Vincent would take to, you know, introduce this other person to drive him around during his hit spree. Mm. Why not just rent a car, basically? Yeah, well, just rent a car for I mean, yourself. Well, there's a paper trail for that. He pays in cash. Cabs don't have a record of who's in them. At least in 2004, there's no cameras. Um, and then I think that he... It's not like he... Like in the first case, right? There's the old case a few years back or whatever where a cabbie killed a bunch of people and then offed himself. And right? Oak, right? So yeah. He obviously wasn't like declaring himself to be a mass murderer to the cabbie. He was just getting rides around with the same cash purchase. And then he killed the cabbie to cover his track. So right. it's not, I mean, yeah, it might not be the best idea, but I, I can think of worse ideas, I guess. I'll suspend my disbelief on that one. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it didn't ruin in a movie for me. It just seems like an unnecessary risk that Vincent would take because you're introducing the possibility of a witness of the guy getting away at any given point of yeah. him even finding out and then shooting you. I don't know. It's just, just seems like an unnecessary risk, but I, for the movie's sake, I, you know, of course now I don't because, mind at all. because they bring up that Oakland thing that, that was Vincent, right? The, the few years prior, we assume so. And so therefore we're to assume from hearing that story that Max's character was intended to be killed by the end. Right. Of right. Yeah. That was going to be the plan. So, yeah, so that's the that's what's at stake, and that's what that's what uh, Max needed in order to transcend is to face his own death, right? And so the fates were like, well, let's put these two guys together. That should that should get one of them on their way because it's like I think that ultimately, um, uh, what's his name? Vincent would have evolved in some way if Max hadn't, because like one of them had to die, and and he was challenging Vincent on his worldview at the end there as well. In a very in a very real way so it's interesting that like it's it's almost as though the reason vincent or sorry max prevailed over vincent was that vincent was static and max transcended his or innovated if you want an economic or marketplace term so he, also he was willing to evolve and um vincent was sort of toxically confident in the system in his worldview and in his behavior right and then talking about the, the final culmination the final shootout where yeah, and like well also he didn't expect uh, Max to to toss the car and put it 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 started some 
some events that uh, Vincent couldn't control and he couldn't, you know, improvise and jazz his way out of. And then he started fighting him and then he kept underestimating Max over and over. Like, oh, what are you going to do about it? Shoots him right in the face, you know? <laughs> Great. That's exactly what you do when somebody with a gun says, what are you going to do about yeah, it? Yeah, pull the trigger right on him. Yeah, you don't. And then I'm like, wow, what a great movie. I actually pulled the trigger. Didn't fucking, you know, the yappity yap for 15 minutes. Yeah, so so Tom Cruise Vincent didn't realize that Max had snapped at that point, that he had gone beyond the that breaking point where he was no longer that idle non-action taker. Yeah, well, his, his sociopathy was... Um, uh, limited his perception of other people like he couldn't even perceive max changing right and actually max says that to him like you have no idea what other people yeah. are thinking he says that to him so that's like foreshadowing this very event and and also it's it's a character trait of max to be able to read people they demonstrate it multiple times he does it to the prosecutor he does it to felix the drug lord guy he does it to vincent where he can read the person based on how they carry themselves, what they're wearing, what accessories they have, all of those things. He's very perceptive about the, about the people that he's uh, interacting with. Okay. Right, and there's a yeah. introductory conversation where he talks about that to the girl in the very beginning of the movie, where he talks about his ability to examine, yeah, read, or, read, read, read a person as soon as they see them. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So they're kind of two extremes, right? You got like a soy boy and a Nazi, and they sort of meet in the middle, and they decide that like being sensitive, but and perceptive, but and able to evolve um, based on the input, but also self-actualizing and Chad, you know, <laughs> to actually go and get shit done, right? Is so sort how of does this manifest in the final shootout because Max is going train car to train car to the very front. And he can't go any further. Yeah, I mean, and then there's again, the again, how like brilliant is that visual, right? Where he's like, he's completely cornered. Like everything in the movie puts him into a situation where he cannot run anymore. Sorry, you were saying. Well, I, I guess I'm trying to have clarity for myself because the action goes really quickly. Yeah. But I'm wondering if there's more to it. Like it's it's being that uh, all of these elements we're talking about right now demonstrated in the action sequence where, you know, he's cornered and he shoots almost at random through the doorway. Yeah. And he hits Vincent one time in the gut or the kidney or whatever. Yeah. But Vincent's M.O. the entire film is very tactically and precise you know, a couple of shots to the body, you know, center of mass, and then a tap in the head. Yeah, but he's unable to adapt, despite his um, virtue signaling about how adaptive he is. Right, but he's like shooting the same way. And, and it was a tell, actually. That's how they linked a lot of the murders together. It's like, oh, this person was murdered the same exact way, the same uh, shot pattern. Yeah, yeah too, too tight to the chest and one in the head. Right, and so I, I guess... You know, in that five seconds of action is Vincent shooting into the metal of the door in that tight group. I also um, Max sidesteps as soon as the lights go out as well. I noticed on this viewing. So he's shooting rather randomly through the glass. Oh, I see what you mean. So it's a yeah, it's a more uh, uh, loose and, you know, improvised. Right. Like if if Vincent had had Max in his sights, uh, he would have hit him with multiple bullets. But Max on the other side was like improvising. Yeah. Well, and it's also fortune favors the bold, right? So the lights going out is divine intervention, evening the playing field. Because God would want the righteous men to evolve and succeed and not to be like fucked over by by like a random bullet firing in the dark. You know what I mean? Like, so that's just, that's the storytelling though, right? That's where God exists for me is in narrative, not in, but I'm not, I'm not on the Bill Maher side of like, you know, yelling at people on the street like an asshole about what they believe. Since when is any of this negotiable, Mike? <laughs> anyway, so the lights go off and uh, one man is unable to evolve and the other guy just tries his best and prevails, which, you know, that's pretty, that'll, that'll get me uh, choked up when I think about it, if I think about it too long. I like it. All right. Well, very good. Well, um, we are about at our time for the last nighters here at uh, episode 56 on Collateral. So any final points before we get into the summary and review? Let's go to Robert. Um, I don't think so. I thought I liked all the cameos in this film. I mean, just, just for funsies, there's, I mean, people want to be in these Michael Mann movies. I, um, Jason Statham is at the very beginning. Airport guy. Airport guy. And then Javier Bardem, who went on to do, you know, No Country for Old Men and many other great films is the drug dealer guy. There's My just a, God, I think. No, a lot a of, um, a lot of a lot of fun talent in this film. Oh, I do have one question that I thought might be a bit of a um, 
a miss in the editing or like the the realism. Um, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but isn't a taxi when they are not available? Don't they turn off their taxi light? Yeah, I thought so. But it's on the whole time. I had a guy with a light on drive past me. There's but also one scene. I don't know the gun, so it all me. worked out. What? There's one scene in the club that bothered me when he's going to execute the guy in the club, and there everybody's in the club, and the cops are in the club, and everybody starts shooting, and it goes on for a really long time. There's all these shots getting fired, dozens of shots being fired, and there then there's still scenes of people dancing. Yeah, I guess that, that bugged I me. I mean, gunshots would clear out a club, I think, despite it being loud. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I don't want to make I don't want to make jokes or references to shit that's happened because it's gotten way too real recently. But yeah, okay, I would. I think, uh, can, I, I think when some you know people getting shot and yeah, I think and there's already there were scenes of people running, but then it, I, I don't know if it's a bad editing job or whatever. But then there's some shots of some people still dancing and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I would chalk it up to them just being like, well, maybe. I mean, like mo- bullets in movies make a lot less noise than reality. Like True. Fire, they fire weapons in enclosed areas and don't go deaf. Right. And silencers right. are called silencers instead of suppressors. And they muffle sounds to a whisper or right. muscle, muscle shots to whisper. So I guess that's maybe that's in the vein. Because, yeah, I don't. You're right. Like, I think they'd be clearing out pretty quick. So it, it could have been editing or it might have just been the way Hollywood perceives gunfights in clubs. Yeah. And, you know, they have this they've written it a certain way so that we've got this much action that needs to take place. And we need to have all these people in the way to be able to push out of the way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, otherwise he would have been gunned down. He needed all of the collateral um, damage. Yeah. You need to have people to hide behind and whatever. Anyway, it's all yeah. good. It's all good. It doesn't doesn't ruin my experience. Now, is that is that the impetus for the, the title of the movie? Is it the collateral damage of the innocent bystanders being killed as a result of these actions? Yeah, I don't know. I think um, I'm kind of drawn to the idea of alone and what you put up against things and the idea of like, like putting me like injecting meaning into your life by what you're willing to put up against your values. And so like if you're willing to, you know, like ultimately your life is at stake because you only have one kind of thing that's sort of what i got because like, at the beginning he makes the bet with the um with the lawyer and he puts up everything against nothing for a chance at at mating essentially right to to hook up with somebody and then like later on um uh tom cruise comes out um, or vincent comes out him with like you know his harsh nihilism and his his psychopathic you know view of humanity and vincent's like okay well if that's the case then fuck it i'll I'll just figure out my own thing, right? But you can't you can't lord over me violence if you're also saying that my life doesn't matter. So I have to fight you. And so he, you know, injects meaning into his life that way. See, that's such like a long explanation for what must be one of the most um like most movies are titled and and you understand why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, "Oh yeah, Civil War. All right, the Marvel characters are fighting each other." Yeah, this this one you have to dig a little and it's a bit ambiguous, I think. Oh yeah, like who's the last Jedi though? Oh yeah, Luke. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> I'm still really upset. Somebody's still unhappy with Disney. <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I stand behind that. I mean, I'd have to talk to Michael Mann, um, but he won't. I've sent him, I think, 50 emails now, and he hasn't got back to me yet. So He's not he's, taking that call. He's busy. No. Well, let's do the uh, final summary review, and I will defer to Robert, then we'll go to Mike, and then I'll close it out. All right, so collateral. I hope you everybody's enjoyed our discussion. I appreciate Mike C for carrying the heavy load tonight. I know you got all kinds of thoughts. He's seen this movie many, many times. Put a lot of thought into the movie, and I appreciate that. Um, obviously, positive review for me. This is a this is a great example of exposing character through showing what they're not, or exposing showing their opposite or their mirror character. So Max and Vincent are very much like an odd couple, and that allows like a screenwriter to really, you know expose a character for you know their 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 negatives or their their lack of you know their their faults and that sort of thing and what they aren't so max is you know he's very thoughtful and he's empathetic and he's also a man of you know he's overthinking things he's trying to make everything perfect before he actually takes action and vincent's an improviser and he's a man of action and he's also a psychopath and just putting those two characters together and you know you're going to get some excellent dialogue and then you put him in this pressure cooker of a situation and you get this really tight script and it just turns into a fantastic film and it kind of makes me pine for the old days of hollywood and it's funny to think about 2004 2005 2006 as the old days of hollywood but I just maybe I'm not writing, watching the right movies, but you just don't see a movie like this anymore. And it makes me a little bit sad, but I'm glad it, it exists. I'm glad it's still there. And now you can still watch it. 
and everybody should go out and watch it if you haven't seen it yet. And I don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't seen it, but you know, do what you gotta do. Anyway, positive review for me. I'm gonna give this like an 8.5. Really, really enjoyed it. It's just, it's just fantastic filmmaking. Um, and you can see why, you know, this script was probably thrown around Hollywood and it attracted a whole lot of uh, talented people's eyeballs. And they were like, I, I need to be a part of this, you know, project, even if it's just a tiny little bit part or a little cameo. I just, I just want to be in this film. And it, it features some of Tom Cruise's best acting of all time. He's actually a good actor. I mean, he's in some schlocky movies some some crappy movies, but he's a great actor when he, when he gets the right role to be, you know, Mr. Pumped up a type personality, Tom Cruise. And it's a lot of fun to see him do that. So yeah, highly recommend it for me. Uh, 8.5. All you can eat, baby. All right, Mike, lay it down for us. Lay, lay down that track. Uh, quite the endorsement. Um, I love Michael Mann. I think that's why Tom Cruise does what he does um, in this film. Um, everything he does, uh, I mean, even his even his films that aren't that great are, are pretty pretty damn good. Um, he uses live ammunition uh, for training all of his actors. So they go on a shooting range with live ammunition and do live training drills. <laughs> so they have a real understanding of the firearms they're using. I think that's uh, kind of milks the juice out of the actors a little bit. Um, and he's not very judgmental about the morality or ethical external pressures so much as just going okay there's cops and there's robbers and what happens between them so that's really interesting um yeah no i i recommend this movie because i love it very much uh so i don't know nine i guess i have a different rating system well there's, out of five. there's an exchange rate here yeah oh fuck don't don't get me started man um yeah i don't know what like nine i don't want to give it a ten no you know what it's ten out of ten if you don't watch it you're an asshole all right, that is quite the endorsement. So nine, well, a 10, uh, and, and you're an asshole if you don't watch it. All right, very good. Well, thank you very much. Um, I also agree this is a good film. I did find some of it a little bit hokey, a little bit schlocky in a way, and I know, Robert, I'm, I'm just borrowing that term from you, but I found the uh, camera work to be a bit forced. Like, it almost was, like, trying too hard to make me unsettled, uh, and I didn't understand a couple of the plot elements, like when he's in the building and he's trying to kill the prosecutor, why he bothers to cut the power. It seems to make it harder for him to do his job when it's just this one woman in there late at night. Um, and I, I realized that for the plot purposes, you needed to buy some time for Max to make it all the way across town and into the building. But it just really felt like an unnecessary, like an unrealistic situation when all he had to do was find her and complete his, his mission. But anyway... Uh, overall, this does a great job. There's excellent dialogue. Uh, the acting is great. And I, I really enjoyed how you keep building that tension. And for the most part, that works really well. There is a, a lot of buildup. And then finally, that release where there is that self-actualization like we talked about from, from the Jamie Foxx character. So I'm going to go pretty high on this, maybe like a 7.9. So just a little bit below these guys. I, apparently, I'm an asshole. So sorry. You, know, you watched it. You watched it, but you're introducing a bunch of criticisms I'd love to respond to. <laughs> we got to wrap it up. Um, well, we, we do have a segment called Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is available for our Patreon supporters. And so we can dig into those uh, those things on that. And if you, our audience, want to uh, hear that stuff, you can support us on Patreon at the $5 a month or more level. You can find that at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Uh, this episode, you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 56. You can also find the episode on thelaunchpadmedia.com. And Robert, what did we land on for the next show? Is this a quiz? Am I going to fail? Did I, we were talking about a couple of different things. Yeah, so it's, it's fish in a barrel. Just pick one and, and we'll do that. Uh, I think it's about time. It's about time we went into space and fought some bugs. That's 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 my feeling. All right, we're gonna do our part, and we're gonna go Starship Troopers next week. That's that's what I, that's, that's what I'm feeling. Hey, you guys want me to do Starship Troopers with you? Because <laughs> you got some you got some ideas on Starship Troopers. Uh, I'll I'll go right to three beers, and I'll be full fash for the entire thing. If you want me to apologize for fascism. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Well, we we could potentially do a back to back if if we can fit it in the schedule. So we'll be back next week with the Starship Troopers. So thank you guys for joining us, and uh, good night from last night.
All right, and that was our last Nerds portion of the show. We did go a little bit long there, so I think we're going to just wind down the actual anarchy portion right here. I do want to thank Mike C. for being our guest with us for tonight's show on Collateral. You have been an excellent guest. We will be posting a link to your SoundCloud on the show notes page at actualanarchy.com slash 113. We do have a plethora of pre-show content, and we're about to do some Kathleen Turner Overdrive that's available for our Patreon supporters. So do hit us up there at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. So, Mike, uh, thanks again. Much appreciated for having you on. And do you have any final words for the audience before we say goodnight? Um, no, just trying to find a way out of this <laughs> system we have. Just, um, yeah, basically just try to exercise your, your freedom and um, self-actualization any chance you get. Tell your friends. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, Robert, any final things for our audience? And if you get caught driving a cab and somebody's making you drive around, as he goes around killing people crash that car you gotta crash that honda baby all right well thanks for joining us everyone we'll see you next week when we do starship troopers and we might have mike z do back to back we'll see tune in next week and find out good night everyone Chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do